I read a telling quote about Thanksgiving this past week. You know that uh, it goes like this. You know that just before that first Thanksgiving dinner, there was one wise old Native American woman saying, don't feed them. If you feed them, they'll never leave. Well, that one just fell flat. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have some other good Thanksgiving humor, but I'm not going to try it. Um, that uh, probably is a pretty good description of what took place in that first Thanksgiving. That's probably what Thanksgiving was like for her anyway. She was looking around trying to describe it. Uh, and we are reminded from the Scripture text that we've heard today about how it is that we ought to give thanks and, and how it is that we ought to go through life with thanksgiving in our hearts. We see that, that thanksgiving has a flow to it. It has an inlet into our lives, but it also has an outlet, or at least it is to have an outlet. And Paul wrote this letter that you just heard Donnie read a second ago to a group of Christians who are in Corinth. And they were quite generous with their finances, although there were some among them who had been known to be a little bit stingy and selfish, and there was some bitterness that had uh, come about as a result of their being poor. This was a poor group of people, yet they were known for their generosity. And they were giving out of their generosity. And Paul was collecting an offering for a group of Christians who were in Jerusalem. And he reminded them that God was the source of all that they had. Everything they possessed financially, materially, as well as spiritually. And his words, the words that Donnie just read a moment ago, are a powerful reminder for us today. He says, God is able, we could just stop right there, right? God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. And then he goes on to say, uh, the surpassing grace of God that He has given you. He is reminding them about the foundation for their thanksgiving. And then Paul ends this part of his letter with this great exclamation. He says, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. The two who spoke here this morning, just sharing uh, spontaneously out of the thanksgiving of their hearts, gave a description of just part of the thanksgiving within their own lives. And they could go on and on, I'm sure, and, and just make that list even longer about the things that God had done for them. But even then, His thanks and, and His provision in our lives is really quite indescribable. All we can do is experience it and begin to understand and, and to give thanks back for it. Well, as we gather here today and in this week of turkey, uh, pumpkin, and I heard down in South Louisiana they have turducken. Have you ever had one of those? I'm sure it, ta you have. I'm sure it tastes better uh, deep fried. LaShawn, have you cooked a turducken? Yes? <laughs> but pumpkin pie and stuffing, and an overload of football, just way too much football, I'm sure, as we watch the Cowboys. And y'all are a tough audience. Y'all don't watch the Cowboys, do you watch the Saints, right? <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to do some things to get you warmed up here. But you and I find that that Thanksgiving chair that we saw earlier in, in this video, and may we not just see it, but take our place here in it, in our work here at Volunteers of America, but also in our relationships, in our marriages, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, and in our own individual lives. 
as we sit alone with God. And I hope that you do that at some point on Thursday, that you get away from your family, which you probably will want to do anyway. You'll get away from the distractions of life. You'll get away from the football and you'll just sit for a little while, making your list out and giving thanks to God. What a great way to live, carrying the Thanksgiving chair around with us and putting it there and sitting down in it from time to time, wherever it is that we go. We can never get to the place in our lives where we can stop sitting in that chair, remembering what God has given. In just a few minutes, we'll take time to remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. But I ask you today, what will you do in your Thanksgiving chair? How long will you be there? What items will roll off of your tongue as you look at your list and your reasons for Thanksgiving? What songs will you sing there? Think about it. What has God given to you? I like the way George Washington put it with these words about Thanksgiving Day. He says, I do recommend and assign Thursday the 26th day of November next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, all the good that is, and all the good that will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto Him our sincere and humble thanks for His kind care and protection of the people of this country. Real thanksgiving begins by seeing that God is indeed the beneficent author of all the good that was in your life and mine, all the good that is and all the good that will be in days ahead. Thanksgiving truly does begin with source recognition. But it doesn't stop there. Well, actually it can stop there. But at that point it ceases to be real thanksgiving. It is possible to have all inlet and no outlet. And this is the case with the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is a great example of this. It has an inlet. There is water that flows into it, but there is nothing that flows out of it. It has become a dead sea. And there is no life in it at all. No, God intends for us to be full, but to overflowing. God desires that we be so full that we spill out over the top and onto the lives of the people that God places around us day after day. And this is what Paul was saying to these Christians at Corinth. I quoted a phrase from him already, and I would be in great error for not finishing it. Let me state it in whole. It says, God is able to provide you with every blessing and abundance. Now that sounds great right there. We could, we could put a period there and just celebrate that and say, yes, I look forward to the abundance that God gives me. But Paul doesn't put a period, period there. He puts a comma. He says, so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. The agricultural truism that he presented here uh, presents a powerful reality for their lives. He says that if they sowed the seeds of, uh, of their finances and their income sparingly, then they would also reap sparingly. But if they sowed bountifully, then they would reap bountifully. And Paul just says this is the principle. This is the way it works. And he just kept it very simple and straightforward for them. 
He reminded them that God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some people attribute that to Benjamin Franklin, but it actually goes back uh, to the Scripture. God loves it when people give generously with a smile on their faces rather than with reluctance and the harsh bitterness in one's heart that comes from a stingy grip of one's hands on possessions in life. They were to see what God had given to them and then to give it away. People throughout history have understood this principle. I mean, we could make a long list of people in the Bible or people outside of the Bible who have lived according to this principle. The list is incredibly long. But I I think about one in particular. um, And I think about the words of Martin Luther King Jr. who, who put it succinctly. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing? For other people? That's a great question to ask. And it brings us back to this so that that Paul lists here. The so that comes our way too. We must see that we are vessels, not containers. We are conduits, not reservoirs. We are rivers, not lakes. We are what God has made us to be when we are flowing along with His provisions into the dry and parched needs of the people that we encounter every day. This overflow happens every day around Volunteers of America. It was incredible. Last week, we had two services, uh, Blessing of the Hand services. That was the first Blessing of the Hand service that I had ever done. And uh, I didn't even know what kind of oil to bring. I asked Chuck, and he said, Quaker State. And I said, no, I I think it needs to be a little more holy than that. It was... uh, Olive, virgin oil, expressed cold, you know, olive oil that we used, and I said a prayer over it. But it was incredible to see, and I see so many of you that came through that line. And uh, I I think there were, I don't know how many, well over a hundred people who walked through the line and had their hands open and took the blessing of their hands. But I want to tell you, it it was more of a blessing for me as I saw all the different kinds of hands and hands representing different kinds of service as just demonstrating the kind of activity and the kind of flow that takes place around Volunteers of America every day. It happens when senior adults receive a meal uh, here at the Highland Center or via Meals on Wheels. It happens to them and their families when they are loved and cared for all day long at the adult daycare center. It splashes out and onto people with mental disabilities, to people without a job, to children who are at risk, to veterans who are homeless. The overflow also goes out to God in, uh, of God's provision in the form of encouragement and housing to young women who are transitioning to independent living. As waves of example and attention to children who need mentors. It flows with confident fashion to women who are preparing for a job interview. It saturates people with mental illnesses and developmental disabilities, with loving support and with visions of hope. All of these programs and more uh, provide staff and volunteers with a perfect context for overflow. I mean, you really don't have to work very hard to find a way to splash onto other people around here. It is exciting when we get it. There is nothing more inspiring than when a new volunteer gets it. 
when she or he gets what God has put in and then gets out what is in so that others may get it. And I tell you that there is nothing more depressing than to see someone who has gotten it but doesn't get it. And you've probably been around some of these people. For them, it is all about getting in. And they cease to be what God intends them to be. They eventually become stagnant and contain no life. And things that contain no life begin to what? Stink. And you've probably been around a few of these people. And there's just stagnation that is there. I read a story recently illustrating how it all really is to work. It is from an article titled, Paying It Forward Proves Lifesaver by Jeff Faraday and USA Today. And it says, Michigan resident Matt Jones decided to offer one of his kidneys simply because he knew someone would need it. I thought that if I could help one person live a decent life, that would be great, Jones said. It's turned out to be a lot more than that. Michael Reese, the medical director of the Alliance for Paired Donation, says Jones started the first ever kidney donation chain. A kidney donation chain is an innovative idea wherein family members continue to pay it forward. That is, after an individual is blessed by a new kidney, someone in the recipient's family agrees to donate a kidney for someone else in need. Matt Jones' kidney was donated uh, to Barbara Bunnell. Barbara's husband, in turn, will donate his kidney to Angela Heckman, a woman that he barely knows. After Angela Heckman receives Bonnell's kidney, Angela's mother will donate her kidney to someone else. Ron Bonnell, Barb's husband, says, I look at it as Barb got this gift from Matt, and I'm just paying it forward. It is terrific to be a part of something bigger. And I think that sums up Thanksgiving nicely. It is terrific to be a part of something bigger. Something bigger like what takes place here through Volunteers of America. Something that takes place when we bountifully give what we thankfully receive. Let us pray. God, we do recognize that 